This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 25. One of the earliest hymns that we have recorded uh, from church history is entitled, Hail Gladdening Light. Now, we don't sing it uh, really much anymore, but the text was written in Greek and sung not too long after the canon of Scripture was closed. It was meant to be sung in the evening time as candles were lit to provide light within homes after night had fallen. An Englishman named John Keeble translated it into English in 1834 like this. Hail gladdening light of his pure glory poured, who is the immortal Father, heavenly blessed. Holiest of holies, Jesus our Lord. Now we are come to the sun's hour of rest. The lights of evening round us shine. We hymn the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit divine. Worthiest art thou at all times to be sung with undefiled tongue. Son of our God, giver of life alone. Therefore, in all the world thy glories, Lord, they own. In a time when Christianity was still a flickering light in the world, God's people understood the importance of Him being the light of their lives. Notice that God is not only a light, but here He's described as the gladdening light, the light that brings joy. These lamps pointed believers to the one who said in the beginning, let there be light. They reminded them of the one who imagined the sun and gave source to its light. And it's no small thing to highlight that in this early hymn, to find Christians singing of the doctrine of the Trinity, oftentimes it's said, oh, that was, that was created by a council in 325. No, you have early Christians, second century, singing this. And they're giving praise to Jesus as God, the giver of life. Well, in a time when Israel was still a flicking light in the wilderness, they understood the importance of God being the light of their lives. Each step of their journey had been attended by a guiding light. Each night when the sun sank down below the horizon, a pillar of fire lit up the night sky. The pillar reminded them of the one who first blazed his glory in the burning bush before Moses. And of course, even now, as in the, where we are in the story, as Israel is assembled at the foot of Mount Sinai, an evening light shone all the time from the top of the mountain. And it was here that God would give to Moses the pattern for the place where God's presence would dwell among his people. So our tour of this tabernacle began by illuminating three primary objects listed in Exodus 25. First, the Ark of the Covenant. Last week, we looked at the table of the bread of presence. And today, we look at what is called the golden lampstand. Each of these items symbolize, in various ways, the holiness and gracious presence of God. Let me ask, what does the light of God's presence mean to you? 
In Exodus 25, 31 to 40, instructions for the golden lampstand are given to Moses. This lamp gave light to the holy place where God's presence would dwell. This sacred piece of furniture contained also, we'll notice, features that resemble that of a tree, like a tree of life. While at the same time, it reminded Israel that God was always near. The light of the tabernacle not only pointed to God's presence among His people, but also pointed to a greater light to come. So I want to organize our thoughts around three headings. First, a tree of light and life. Second, the Lord of light and life. And finally, a church of light and life. Would you stand with me? Let's read together Exodus chapter 25, verse 31 to 40. This is God's holy and inerrant word, though written long ago, it was meant to bring life to us today. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work, its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be made of one piece with it, and there shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it, three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself, there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers, and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it. The whole of it, a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, And the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. First, let us explore this tree of light and life. Our passage begins with God telling Moses, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. Gold is the most precious of all metals, meant to display and reflect the holiness of God. While some of the objects in the tabernacle were covered with gold, this lamp was constructed only of gold. Just like the mercy seat we looked at a couple of weeks ago that sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, we aren't given the dimensions of how high it was or how wide it was. There's some limitations given by the weight, but it doesn't tell us exactly. What we do know is that in verse 39, we have recorded it was forged from a single talent of solid gold. A talent is an ancient way of measuring the mass of something. This was about 75 pounds of pure gold. Um, I looked into buying pure gold a couple of years ago and realized how much just one of those little suckers are. And I went on to the next website. So 
with the price of gold today, this tabernacle decoration would be valued at more than a million and a half dollars just for one decoration within the holy place. Of all the objects of the tabernacle, the easiest one for us to imagine is this lampstand. We would know it as the menorah, one of the most timeless and popular symbols of Judaism. Pictures of a golden lampstand have been found on ancient coins, tile floors, jewelry, all kinds of artwork. Today, the menorah is seen throughout the season of Hanukkah as Jewish people around the world celebrate. Uh, Maybe you don't know the story behind that. From the Maccabean Revolt, where God supernaturally kept the lamp glowing, going for eight straight days as he gave his people victory and they reclaimed the tabernacle, the temple, sorry. So with those things in mind, I want you to notice first how this lampstand represented a tree of life. It's no accident that the description God gives Moses is so tree-like. Notice all of these botanical terms. The stem of the lamp was like the trunk of a tree that widened at the bottom. Six branches stretch out from the base, six on each side. These branches were shaped to represent actually the stages of growth on an almond tree. Notice there's the bud and the blossom and the fruit. Now just a quick time out. We mentioned the word calyx more in that passage than you've ever said it your whole life. So I know burning in the back of your thoughts is, what is a calyx? Well, this is the technical term for, uh, for this, the fruited blossom, but also with greenery still going around it. Okay, This is not a part of the sermon. I just wanted you to know. Now we'll just move on. So as the priests would come into the holy place to worship God and to perform the duties of their work, the first thing they were greeted by is this beautiful, golden, glowing, fruit-bearing tree. Isn't that amazing? A sacred tree standing in the presence of God. What does that remind you of? The tree of life. That was at the center of the Garden of Eden, highlighting the connection between the presence of God and mankind. After the, after the fall, God's people were cut off from access to the tree of life with cherubim posted to guard the entrance. In the tabernacle, we witness Eden being put back together again, piece by piece. God's people are welcomed into his presence. Next week, we'll see some cherubim again show up on this curtain design. I can tell you're already just eager for that. And there, God's presence is protected, but it is being restored. And in his presence, a tree. Still, this lampstand had a brighter purpose. It was a tree of light. This dazzling sight is the only source of light in the entire tabernacle, and at the end of every branch was a lamp. Now, your translation might say these were candlesticks, but these weren't actual candlesticks because candles weren't uh, invented until Roman times. But what these little lamps were, were four to six inch cups uh, designed to hold pure olive oil that would burn throughout the night. On the end of each bowl was a little pinched section that the wick would lay in and keep it from falling down in the oil and suffocating the flame. We're given details for how the lamps were to be maintained in Leviticus chapter 24, 1-4. to 
Moses there writes, The Lord spoke and said, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure olive, I'm sorry, pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly. Outside the veil of the testimony, in the tent of meeting, Aaron, so now he's saying that the one who would become high priest, shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. And it, this light shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. As we'll see next week, Lord willing, the holy place of the tabernacle um, and where this lampstand stood was underneath four different layers of covering. Okay, so it was incredibly dark in there. So just imagine being a priest trying to just go about your daily business of changing out the bread, even eating in the dark, trimming wicks, replacing oil, fumbling and bumbling everywhere. Now, some of you are like me, and it's the moment you wake up, you turn on every light in the house, every lamp, open every shade, you want the light in. How many of you, is, is that you? Okay. And how many of you spend about 80% of your life turning off lights in your home? Yeah. Well, it's two different kinds of people in the world. But here, you had to have light. This was the only source of light. The light was practical, but it was also theological. There's a theological reason for this light. Central to the teaching of the tabernacle is the one who is the light of the world. Where God dwells, there is light. Let me just remind you that we're not reading a work of fiction when we read Scripture. This lampstand is not like Mary Poppins' bottomless bag. It's not like C.S. Lewis's Narnian wardrobe. This lamp and this holy place was the ordained place that God had welcomed his people into his presence. This is how he would dwell among them. And real people experienced this, people like you and me. So imagine what it would have been like to be a priest in the era of the tabernacle, to be given access to this warm, welcoming light of God behind the curtain, in the presence of God, and to feel his light on your face. We'll never know that. But we have known something far greater. We have known the light of God's presence. We often recite Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26 as our benediction. Part of that, right in the middle of it, says, The Lord make his face to shine upon you. What a comfort it is that God's face has shone on us. What a comfort. Robert Murray McShane explained it like this. One beam of God's countenance is enough to fill the heart of a believer to overflowing. It's enough to light up the pale cheek of a dying saint with angelic brightness. It's enough to make the heart of the lone widow sing for joy. Haven't you known the face and the smile of God like that? Does the truth that God's smile has been fixed on you, that his face has been set on you, that his thoughts 
or yours? Does that hit you like the warm glow of the morning sun? I pray it would. Now that we've looked at our passage in its original context, what I want to do is follow that ray of light from this ancient lampstand to Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of light and life. Hebrews chapter 9, 5 says the tabernacle and the things in it, like the lampstand, serve as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things, specifically that they point to Jesus. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is simply just magnify Jesus together. Thinking of him as the light and the life of the world. Him who, Hebrews says, is the radiance of the glory of God. The lampstand showed that the God who tabernacled among them was the source of light and life. It also foreshadows the Son of God who tabernacled among us and who alone is the source of light and life of men. The Gospel of John is glowing with this theme. So what I want to do, technically, so we've done an exposition of that text. This is what it says. Now what I want to do is a little bit of biblical theology. Okay, so we're going to look at the Gospel of John through the two lens of light and life and just connect this theme. I won't won't hit all of them. Uh, You can do more of that for homework, but uh, I'm just going to hit some things that just jumped out to me. So let me show you first how the New Testament and how the Apostle John shows that Jesus is the light. From the very first words he pens, he began with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And there's multiple light passages I'm going to skip over. I'm going to go to John chapter 8, verse 12, where he records where Jesus explains to his disciples. And he says these words, the classic seven I am statements recorded in the Gospel of John. One of them is, I am the light of the world. What a claim. None of us can claim that. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 9, 5, Jesus proclaims, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Moving to John 12, 36, he says to his disciples, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Isn't that an interesting way to define those who've believed in Jesus, children of light. And then we're given a purpose statement for why Jesus came in the flesh. John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light, that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And we hear something of the heart of Christ right there. Jesus longs to bring people out of darkness into light. One more, not in the Gospel of John, but written by the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. This is part of his vision of the end of all things. And he says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. 
And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, which the book of Daniel uses that again and again to mention Jesus. Son of Man, by the way, is the way Jesus refers to himself more than anything. So in the midst of these lampstands is Jesus, the light of the world. Okay, Jesus is not only our light, he is also our life. Still, Gospel of John again, beginning in chapter 3. 3 verses 14 to 16 says, and Mo, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, uh, if you want the story of that, you can read uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, one of those two books. Who, who knows which one? Numbers. numbers. Thanks, Crum. You'll find it. Book of Numbers. Do you know chapter and verse? <laughs> Goodness. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, the wonderful story of how this is how people are healed by people looking at this serpent lifted up. So you can read more. So the Son must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Of course, the most quoted passage in Holy Scripture sings with this idea, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal what? Life. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 6, 37, I am the bread of life. We looked at this last week. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In John 14, 6, Jesus claims to be life itself. He says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. There are more still in the Gospel of John, but in this final passage, I want to highlight is John's summary statement for why he recorded this whole letter in the first place. John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, These things I've written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. Jesus is the everlasting light and life. So let me just pause and address any of you who have not believed in that. Any of you who are still in the darkness of your own sin. The scripture teaches us that by birth, we're born in darkness, separated from God. We're born loving the darkness and hating the light. We try to do our very best, all we can, to shade our eyes from the truth of who Christ is and constantly run into the shadow of our own sin, making our home there. We're comfortable in the dark. We don't want to be exposed by the beam and truth of who Christ is. But the good news of the gospel is you don't have to stay in the dark. I don't have time to convince you this morning that if you're outside of Christ, you are trapped in the darkness of your sin. But for those of us, for those of you who feel that this morning, you know that you're trapped in the darkness of your sin and you have no light, no warmth of God. The reason is because you're separated from him by your sin. The good news of the gospel is you don't have to stay there. Come into the light. Well, how do you do that? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the light and life of Jesus. Receive the healing and forgiveness that he alone can bring. If you're tired of the dark, step into the light. Step by faith into the light. 
and still for each of us who are believers in Jesus. While we, we would have never been allowed to go into this holy place to see this golden lampstand, none of us are in the tribe of Levi. At least we can't prove it. Yet John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 says, This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what admonition do we have from this just trying to magnify the glory of Jesus from the Gospel of John? For you and I, all of us who are in Christ, to walk in the light and life that has been provided for us. Is there anything in your life that would dim your light for Christ? Is there an area of your life that you've left in the dark, comfortably just left there? Let's run to the light together. We model that every week when we repent of our sins, where we all come face down and level-footed before the majesty and greatness of a holy God, reminding one another that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We are people of darkness, and we have a great light. And finally, we must understand that because of Christ, we are a people of light and life. God's plan from the beginning was to make his name great among the nations. He had set Israel to be a lamp to the nations, to shine the goodness and glory of God to their neighboring countries, to the unreached peoples of the world. Our mission as the people of God today, as the church, has not changed. We are a people who have been given the light and life of Christ and now called to proclaim it. Our mission statement says that we exist. Why the Trails Church exists is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel, in community, and on mission. And even the order of all that is very important. We get to glorify God. That means worship of God is at the center of why we exist as a fellowship. To glorify God with a specific task of making disciples baptizing people, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. That was given to us in Matthew chapter 28. Through the gospel, not through our own means, not through our own power, but through the power of Christ at work in us. In community, where we walk in the light together, where we learn to resist darkness together, and on mission, proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into Marvelous light. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, the same Jesus who said he was the light of the world also said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In this season when our church is still just a new flickering flame here in the world, we must understand the reality of God being the light of our lives. And to never get over it. To walk in the light of his grace. 
uh, to relish in the light of his love and to hold out to any who would see and hear and put their trust in our God. How good, how marvelous he is. As most of you know, we've begun construction on our new building. It's very exciting. If you haven't driven past there, drive by after church today. There's dirt stuff going up. I don't know what's happening, but there's a lot of dirt being moved around and sand and tractors. Um, as we were preparing for that, as we were just tidying up and, and deciding from the, the Grace Baptist building uh, how to store everything, we, I came across this dusty old sign that said, Grace Baptist Fellowship, a church on, a, a church on the hill with a story to tell. And I just loved that. It's, it's Matthew 5.14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. The Lord, in his providence, has placed us, you and me, to live right here for this time as this wave of people are moving here, many of whom have no hope in this life or hope in death. And the only hope in this life and in death is Jesus Christ, who is the light and life of men. And so I just want to summon us to boldly, courageously, winsomely, humbly, faithfully, regularly. I keep thinking of adverbs. Shine. Let this ancient golden lampstand be a reminder to you and me of the God who is a source of light and the God who says to you, you are the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it is, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May we live in its goodness and kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org. 